Now please remain standing and turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 18. We uh, resume our study of uh, 1 Kings, uh, 1 Kings chapter 18, and we come to the end of the chapter uh, today, verses 40 to 46, 1 Kings 18, 40. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. Then he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees and said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, There's nothing. And seven times he said, Go again. Then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, There is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, Go up, say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot. And go down before the rain stops you. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. And may God add his richest blessing to the reading of this portion of His Holy Word. Will you pray with me, please? Again, our Father, we're thankful for Your Holy Word. We're thankful that You have spoken to us. And we pray that by the power of Your Spirit that You would come and speak to us now. We pray that You would open our eyes, that we would see our Lord Jesus Christ high and lifted up. We pray that You would open our ears, that we would hear the voice of our Good Shepherd. And hearing His voice, we would know Him and follow Him and offer our hearts to Him promptly and sincerely. Speak, Lord, we pray, in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. Blessings and curses. Now, for several messages now, we have been in one of the most exciting and dramatic passages in the Bible. And in the previous passage the excitement reached fever pitch there in the contest on Mount Carmel. Fire came down from heaven and consumed the bull sacrificed on the altar. It consumed the altar itself. Even the 12 stones were burned up and it says that the fire licked up the water from the trench. But there's more. As exciting as it was, as important as it was, fire was not the main thing to fall from heaven that day. Look back up at verse 1 of chapter 18. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, 
Go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. It's been over three years since it rained. There is a great famine in the land. The need of the hour is rain. But rain is contingent upon the people turning back to the Lord from Baal. So the challenge, Elijah asked the people, how long will you halt between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal is God, follow Him. It took fire from heaven to get the people off the fence to make a decision. But when all the people saw it, the fire from heaven, it says they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. See, when the Lord said He was going to send rain, it indicated that he was first going to turn the people back to himself. Now they have moved from under the curse of drought to being under the blessing of rain. And of course, the rain is the main blessing But we see in this passage three blessings poured out on Israel after they confessed that the Lord Jehovah, He is God. Let's see these blessings now. First, in this passage, we see a hard blessing. A hard blessing. Look at verse 40. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. The first thing to happen after the great demonstration on Mount Carmel is a slaughter. That's what it says. Elijah slaughtered the prophets of Baal. That's the response to their confession. The Lord, that is Jehovah, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Elijah says, well then, if the Lord is really God, if He's your God, seize the prophets of Baal, don't let one of them get away, and Elijah slaughtered them all. Now, Elijah is simply following the law here. Deuteronomy 13 says, If anyone entices you to follow any god but the Lord, he shall be put to death. Whether a prophet or a dreamer, your own family, even your spouse or a friend or some worthless fellow in town, if he entices you to follow another god, put him to death. 
may sound extreme to our ears. But right before that, at the end of Deuteronomy 12, it says why. Deuteronomy 12, 31, just listen. It says, You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every abomination to the Lord which He hates, they have done to their gods. For they burn even their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Canaanite pagan religion, we have already seen in 1 Kings, it involved cult prostitution. It also involved human child sacrifice. 15 or 20 years ago, however long it was, you remember when the Boston Globe first broke the story of child sexual abuse in the Roman Catholic Church, there was a great outcry. People wanted the priests that had done this and the higher-ups that had covered it up all these decades sent to prison. Why? They had hurt children. They were using their religion to hurt children. And before we get to feeling sorry for these priests of Baal that Elijah executed, before we get to thinking that the Lord and Elijah were being too harsh or too brutal with these priests of Baal, we need to keep in mind that these priests ran brothels and killed babies. That was Jezebel's vision for Israel. And up till now, these Baalist prophets were treated like royalty while Jezebel was having the prophets of Jehovah exterminated and a very, very, very precious, slim minority in that day had the fortitude to do or say anything about it. But no more. The people, the same people who earlier would not answer a word when Elijah called on them to choose their God, Jehovah or Baal, and follow him, the same people that wouldn't answer. They now seize Jezebel's prophets of Baal. They have not only confessed that the Lord, He is God, they are following Him. They're rising up against the person who had them squeezed with an iron fist that morning. Now this act, this severe act, though it is absolutely just and fair and righteous, while it is a curse on the prophets of Baal, it's the first blessing to come on the people when they turn back to the Lord. It's a blessing to get rid 
of these abominable pagan prophets and their inhumane practices. You know, it's a blessing to get shed of false teaching. Now, we understand Israel was a theocratic state in the Old Testament. The church is not. We don't have the power of the sword. The the New Testament says that the sword is in the hands of the civil authorities. Not time to give a whole overview of the church and state, but, but the principle, despite the fact that we don't execute capital punishment, in the church like they did in the Old Testament. The principle is still in place. Let me read you what New Testament says. 2 John verses 7 to 11 says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we work for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house or greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. You see, we're told in the New Testament, if someone comes teaching a a false doctrine, we're not told to execute him, but we are told to have nothing to do with the one who brings false teaching. It's a blessing. It was a blessing when the Lord rid His people of these false prophets. And it's a blessing not only to be rid of false teachers, but to be rid of our own personal false beliefs and idolatry. I don't know about you, but I have believed a lot of strange things in my life. I believed a lot of things that when I studied the Bible more, I realized it was heresy. I have had a bunch of idols in my heart. I'm afraid I still do. But it's a blessing to have the, the heresy, the, the, the bad, mistaken beliefs, and, and the idolatry torn away. You know the feeling of having an idol ripped out of your heart. It's painful. It's hard. But it's a blessing. We see a hard blessing. Secondly, in this passage, we see a restored blessing. A restored blessing. Look at verse 41. Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, Eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. Then he bowed him down on the ground and put his face between his knees. 
and said to his servant, Go up now, look towards the sea. So he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And seven times he said, Go again. Then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, There is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, Go up and say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind. There was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Now there are all kinds of things could be said about this, but I want to draw out three things about the blessing of rain being restored here. First, note that God is keeping His covenant. God is keeping His covenant. Deuteronomy 28 said, The law said, if you follow the Lord, there'll be rain to water your crops and replenish the earth. If you turn away from Him, the heavens will be shut. These are the blessings and curses of the covenant. Well, here, in 1 Kings 18, the Lord is faithful to His Word. He's keeping His covenant. You remember when the temple was built and, and dedicated that King Solomon had, had prayed over the temple. Lord, if your people turn from you and you shut the heavens and there's no rain, if they repent and turn back to you, then hear their cries, forgive their sins, and send rain. This principle is at the heart of those sweet, precious words if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now we know it's merciful and gracious for God to forgive our sins. But you realize it's also faithful and just of God to forgive us our sins. If we confess. Why? Because God has promised He would. He's made a covenant. God has bound Himself by the blood of His own Son to forgive the sins of all who will confess and plead the blood of Jesus. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. Whoever pleads the blood of Jesus shed for me. God has bound himself to forgive our sins. Maybe you feel, or maybe you have felt, like you have just blown it. Israel had blown it. But there was a way back into the place of blessing. And there's a way for us. There's a way for you. Back into the blessing of God. Because He is a God who keeps His covenant. A God who keeps His Word. So we see that God is keeping His covenant. 
Secondly, with the blessing restored of rain, we see that prayer accomplishes God's plan. Prayer accomplishes God's plan. Now, seven times we read, Elijah bows down to the earth, puts his face between his knees. God had said in verse 1, 1 Kings 18, verse 1, before he approached Ahab and the fire came down on Carmel, before all that, the Lord had already said he was going to send rain. Elijah knew what God was going to do. God had already told him what he was going to do. And yet there's this rather suspenseful episode where Elijah, who knows God is going to send rain, prays again and 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 sends his servant to check for clouds on the horizon. Now the point is that Elijah knew what God was going to do but he still had to pray for it. God has planned it all out. Yet, he plans it out so that prayer works. If he plans to send rain, he also plans for Elijah to pray for rain. In other words, there's a sharp difference between belief in a sovereign God and fatalism. We need to pray for blessing. The Lord has promised to build His church. It will happen, no doubt, but are we praying for it? The great preacher Spurgeon said it this way, It is well said that asking is the rule of the kingdom. It is a rule that will never be altered in anybody's case. If the royal and divine Son of God cannot be exempted from the rule of asking that He may have, you and I cannot to expect to have the rule relaxed in our favor. God will bless Elijah and send rain on Israel, but Elijah must pray for it. If the chosen nation is to prosper, Samuel must plead for it. If the Jews are to be delivered, Daniel must intercede. God will bless Paul, and the nation shall be converted through him, but Paul must pray. Pray he did, without ceasing. His epistles show that he expected nothing except by asking for it. So we see God is keeping his covenant. We see that prayer accomplishes God's plan Thirdly, we see that the rain is as miraculous as the fire. It's interesting to see how cool and composed Elijah was on Mount Carmel in contrast with the Baalists. You remember the the priests of Baal, they danced around and cried louder and louder and even cut themselves to shed their own blood to try to get Baal's attention. And Elijah just prayed a simple prayer. Now here, Elijah's not dancing and cutting himself. But he bows down and prays seven times. Why does it seem to take more to get the rain 
than it did to get the fire. Well, you think about it. Elijah and his servant all alone on Mount Carmel is not as dramatic a scene as Elijah, the king, the nation, and the prophets of Baal, the altars, and the fire from heaven. And the Lord seems to do it this way, making Elijah pray seven times before it will rain to show us as we read this that the rain was just as big a deal as the fire. You see, the temptation is for us to say, we've never seen fire from heaven like that, but we have seen rain. We see and experience the miraculous every day. You see, the problem with Israel was not that they had no evidence of God. They saw sun or rain every day. The problem was they traced the evidence of God not back to God, but to Baal. See, we don't need fire from heaven, or any other sort of supernatural event to believe. The evidence is all around you. The heavens declare the glory of God. The invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen so that we are without excuse. There's evidence all around you, but do you trace the evidence back to its true and proper source. The modern Baalists do not say that Baal sends rain and lightning and fertility, but they would have us believe that it's all the product of natural forces with no divine plan or involvement or care. But Psalm 65, which we sung a few moments ago says of the Lord, you visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain for so you have prepared it. You water its riches abundantly. You settle its furrows. You make it soft with showers. You bless its growth. We see a hard blessing. We see a restored blessing. And thirdly, and finally, we see the greatest blessing, the key to all blessing. Look at verse 46. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Now, this must have been quite the scene. Ahab was in a chariot. Horse-drawn chariot. It was 17 miles from Mount Carmel to Jezreel. The prophet Elijah outran the horses 17 miles to Jezreel. It says in verse 46 that the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah and enabled him to outrun the horses. What in the world is going on? 
God is giving the people and He's given us a divine object lesson. Now you get this and you got it. What went wrong in Israel? The king ignored the word of God. He ceased to follow the word of God and he turned to Baal. Now here you see the picture. Elijah outruns the king in his horse-drawn chariot. The prophet who declares the word of God, he's ahead of the king. And the king is following the prophet who brings the word of God to Jezreel. This is the greatest blessing. This is the key to all blessing. The word of God comes above and before everything else. If you want blessing in your life, put this book first. The Lord is showing us, He's showing, He's offering Israel, He's offering wicked King Ahab the key to all blessing. Put His word first. And follow it. But we know what happens. Dr. Davis says it. Ahab has an offer of grace in his hand, but his feet will soon stand in the devil's bedroom. This king, Ahab, went right back to trampling on the word of God. But the good news is we have a better king than Ahab. A king who not only kept the word of God, but a king whose very name is the word of God. Jesus Christ. Now the key to blessing, the place of blessing, is to come under and submit yourself to the reign and rule of this king Jesus Christ. You see, the curses for our turning from God, the curses for our forgetting the Lord, they came on Him. They came on Jesus, the curse, that we might stand in the place of blessing. In Jesus Christ, there is safety, blessing, and grace. Apart from Him, there is curse and damnation. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. But this Word, the Word of God, the Holy Scriptures are able to make you wise to salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. Behold, I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring 
may live. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.